0: So we've got our guest speaker for today, John McKinley. Um, basically, we went to New Wine Leaders. I heard John uh, give a really good talk. I said, we have to bring him back to church, to St. Paul's and St. Barnabas. We need to get him to come round. So I, I moved some connections because I know his brother-in-law, so I was able to sort of lure him in, and um, we were able to bring him around. So we are delighted, John, that you've come. Um, John is on the board of New Wine. He's been a new winer for many years, and um, he's written quite a few books. John, do you want to share your, your books with us and a bit of your story?
1: I would love to. Thank you so much, Nico. Yeah, so uh, my brother-in-law Chris said, when this guy gets in touch with you, do whatever he asks you to do, John, because he's a great guy, and we just want to encourage him, and so... Uh, So I've met Nico, and I agree with Chris. He is a great guy, and God's doing great things. So I'm here, and you are very lucky to have him as your vicar. Um, There are lots of bad vicars out there, so just remember that. Uh, So um, I used to be, uh, did 27 years of ordained ministry. I used to be at Holy Trinity Leicester uh, until about two years ago. Uh, We saw lots of churches planted, missional communities, uh, and, uh, yeah, real life and growth in the spirit. And then God called me out of that to, uh, to try to do something to release movement of church planting through the Church of England and, and beyond that. And we formed something called Myriad, uh, which was to enable ordinary people where they are, uh, not ordained, and not having to go away for training, to be supported and trained to plant churches that will reach the people in their vicinity, in their networks, in their, in their places. And so we're we currently got seven hubs around the country, uh, training about 70 teams of people to do that, uh, and we have a vision for 10,000 new churches in the UK uh, to come through that route, and we're just seeing God begin to do it, and it's, I'll, I'll share some stories as I go along.
0: Brilliant. Um, so, shall we pray for you? Yeah, thank you. Father, thanks for John. Thanks for his heart for you. Thanks for the vision you've given him of church planting and church growth, and just seeing people come to you. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to, through him, mm. that you'd open our hearts to hear what you, we have to hear, and Lord, that we would be encouraged by what he has to say. Mm. Amen.
1: Amen. Um, I'm already encouraged by being with you this morning. Um, just so encouraging to hear what God's doing uh, amongst you in terms, of the, um, uh, in terms of the growth and the life and, uh, and all that's happening. And and with the youth band as well, because um, the other thing that God's got me doing, which is uh, we'll connect him with something I'll share about how important it is to have a vision for what God might do through your life, um, personally, as well as for the church as well. and. and I'm, I've just been entrusted by God to bring something called the Send into the UK, which is uh, to release a missionary movement in the 16 to 25 year olds. Uh, where I'm currently negotiating with Wembley Stadium for 2025 uh, to see thousands of young people and young adults gather in a single place and say they're part of a generation God's going to use to reach their generation and this nation. And uh, so, so encouraged just to see that. That's, that's the start of it. That, that's what God does. Uh, and so really encouraged by that. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today, partly because I just love the, um, the, the sort of the vision statement, the values that you want to live out of, of being with Jesus and becoming like him and then doing what he did. And it's in Luke chapter 10 that, uh, that Jesus gets his disciples to do what he did. And uh, and so we're going to have a little bit of look at that. And Luke chapter 10 begins with these words. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take any purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. What I love about this is it's 72 ordinary people that we don't know their names. It's not the 12, it's not the gifted apostles, it's not the people that we know became the church leaders, even though they were just fishermen and tax collectors and ordinary people like you and me. But this is where Jesus says this spreads and everybody gets commissioned to do this. And they get this entrustment to go and into the harvest. And he goes on to tell them to heal the sick and bring the kingdom. And what I'm going to do in this first session is I'm just going to help us to think through (coughs) the real challenge that the church in this nation is facing, which is what is the church? What's its purpose? What are we called to be? And how are we going to fulfill that calling in our nation at this time? And the real question is, are we going to be the missionary people that Jesus commissions to take the gospel to people who are lost and are desperate in need of him? Or are we going to retreat into something that this culture is trying to force us to be? And that's what I want us to explore together. And so we're, we see it in Scripture... We see it in this moment, Jesus commissioning 72. We see it in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and that they were to tell every disciple following that to go and do what he told them to do, and this is what he told them to do. And so we have the picture of the early church. We have Acts and just that missionary church planting, gospel-proclaiming movement that began and transformed the whole of the world. And then we hold all of that up against the church in our nation, and our experience of church, and we go, how how do we hold the two together? And the question, as I said, that we're being asked, I think, by God at this, is to choose. Is to choose, are we going to believe that that commission still remains, that his call on his church still remains, that that's his way of reaching this nation again? Again. Or are we going to settle into something that is much more manageable and comfortable and give up on that um, scriptural vision of the church? So we're going to do a little bit of uh, history. So I hope uh, that's going to be okay. And uh, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey. So. We in this nation have had something which was called Christendom um, as the culture of our nation when we were a Christian nation. Christendom was first used as a word in the ninth century in this country when in the courts of King Alfred uh, they they were trying to write a, a sense of what the story of the nation was at the time. And one of the scribes that was writing that looked across the nation and said, this is a Christian kingdom. And from that, they they conflated that into Christendom. This is a Christian kingdom. Everywhere we look, there are churches and there are priests. And those priests are the leaders of those communities. And they are linked to us as the rulers of the nation. And we, we are fulfilling what we believe God's called us to be, is to form a Christian nation. And since the ninth century that led through the church's leadership of every community to the Bible being taught and those being the accepted values and that being uh, just the assumption that everybody was a Christian. And if you were born, you were baptised. And if you got married, you got married in church. If you died, the church buried you. And it was this pervasive cultural system that was based on the Christian faith. And it brought so much blessing to our country and that people lived even if they weren't personally practising the faith, they lived from the values and the practices. The Ten Commandments were the foundation of our legal system, and it brought so much blessing to our nation. The problem with it was that in that system, some things began to grow and distort that actually didn't reflect the purpose of the church. And somebody called Lee Camp uh, in his book, Mere um, Discipleship, has come up with this phrase, the Christendom cataract, that still besets the church today. And what he's saying about that is that these things grew up in Christendom and they became normal. This is what normal church life looks like. And the result of that is, is it blinded us to the truth of what the church was meant to be. And so here are the things that, uh, that others um, have suggested are the things that built up within that time. First of all, the relationship with the world. That because the Christian kingdom and the church were, were sort of synonymous and, and there was such an overlap, the result was, was that we became friends with the world. Our relationship was that we should have a position in our society where the church had a seat at the top table, was seen as, as a leader in the world, uh, was, was following the world and, in, and, and bringing the Christian faith into the world systems. And as I said, it brought lots of blessings. But the problem was that we built this friendship with the world. And we no longer saw the church as a prophetic missionary community that would seek to bring the kingdom of God, and we became somebody who was trying to bring the Christian faith within the human kingdom in which we lived. And that was okay, whilst the values of the world and the values of the church lined up. But as soon as the values of the world begin to depart from the values of God, we're now in a problem, because we want to be friends with the world... But the world no longer wants to follow Jesus Christ. And so the world begins to drag the church away from God if we want to stay in friendship. But because we've always had this, this relationship with the world in which we're friends, we don't know how to have a different relationship. I mean, Jesus said in, uh, in John chapter 15 that, remember, if the world hates me, hates you, it hated me first, Verse 18, he says, if you belong to the world, it would love you. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. So Jesus is saying, we're not meant to be friends with the world, we're meant to love people, but we're not meant to be friendly with the system, because the system is not of God, and we actually need to be those that stand prophetically against it. And so we then come into this place where we're going, how do we have this relationship with the world? second thing that built up in Christendom was cessationism. Um, it's a strange word, but it literally just means that we, we stop believing that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were to, for today. And there were some good reasons for that. Some of it was abuses of the Catholic Church. They used to ask you to, to pay money in order to get miracles, and there was an abuse of that, understanding that God might give you a miracle. But mainly it was because nobody was seeing any supernatural miracles. And so what they did is they did terrible theology. Never do theology like this. What they did was they said, um, the, Bible, the Bible is there, and it does talk about miracles, and it talks about the gifts of the Spirit and the early church, but our experience is down here. So what we're going to do is we're going to theologize the Bible down to our level. And they came up with a theology that said the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased when the apostles died and scripture was, um, the canon of Scripture was completed. There's nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture, but it neat and tidied their experience, didn't it? It said, we don't have to expect the gifts of the Spirit because they finished. And all we need now is the general presence of God and the Bible. Now, we know because God's begin to move that the gifts of the Spirit are available today, but what I want you to understand is that there is a, there's the dregs of that theology that dominated the church's life for hundreds of years. They still affect us today. And so each of you and me, we were brought up in a church that didn't have an expectation that the Spirit was going to lead the church, he was going to reveal himself, he was going to do signs and wonders in our midst... Uh, Because even though we'd we'd said yes to the filling of the Holy Spirit and some some ministry of the Holy Spirit taking place in our church, we didn't see it as core business. And we didn't see it as our... um, that this is key to our identity as Christians because we'd had grown up in a church that had said, no, we don't believe in that for so long. And so we brought it back in, but it was just on the edge. And I really believe that that causes us problem, as as I'll say in a moment, in the current context that we're in. So that's the second thing that built up in Christendom. The third thing was a missionless church. If everyone's a Christian, you don't have to uh, send uh, to be missionary, and you don't have to reach out and preach the gospel and enable people to come to faith. Every now and again, such as with Wesley and William Booth and the Salvation Army and other points, God broke in. But it, it didn't change the system. Um, Wesley got kicked out of the Anglican church because they didn't like it. He wasn't uh, meant to be preaching outside. Uh, when, when they tried to send missionaries to the empire and they realized all these people out in the world uh, didn't know Jesus Christ, there was such opposition to those who started to say we should take the gospel to the empire because there was no framework for mission in the church of that day. And again, we find that strange, and we've, we've begun to recover that because we know that everyone is no longer a Christian, but the church's structures and patterns of life were built up during that time when there was no expectation of being a missionary church. And the final one is that we professionalize ministry. And so the way in which church worked is we had a building, and we had a professional minister, and they did all of the work, and the job of the Christians was to come on a Sunday and that was, that was Christianity. And to live a good life um, in between Sundays and to generally believe. And there was no expectation of the ordinary everyday believer being called by Jesus Christ, raised up into ministry, being released. You know, as I'm talking to vicars about uh, planting churches and uh, empowering people who aren't ordained to go and lead church and do different things, all the time people just say, I just, I just don't know how to do this, nobody's ever taught me to do this, is this okay, are we allowed to do this? Because they, they were brought up and trained in a system that they're the professional minister, they do ministry, and people help them. Total distortion of the church, in which the leaders of the church are meant to equip the people of God for ministry and for all. So that's a little summary um, of what happened in Christendom. Then we move from that place where, with a collaborating majority, this is the dominant culture, and then society shifted so that it began to reject Christ and the Word of God as the way to live. And they wanted freedom. The Enlightenment put the human subject at the center and said everybody can decide what they wanted to do and we can do what we like. And science and other religions began to undermine a confidence in the Christian faith. And so we end up in this space where we are the church in this nation and we have this history of a Christian nation and yet the the world has moved away and we're now in the middle of this and it's not a comfortable place to be. Um, I use this illustration to, uh, to help us to understand this. This is the Cholotaca Bridge in Honduras. In 1988, uh, the government decided to build this bridge because they wanted to make sure the Cholotaca River that, um, uh, that divided the country was always possible to cross, even in the most extreme of weather conditions that they suffered from. And it was meant to be an indestructible bridge. Six months later, Hurricane Mitch Blew through Honduras with devastating effects. It's an absolutely horrific um, tropical storm. And this is what happened the river moved. The bridge stood, stood firm. The bridge was an indestructible bridge. All the roads got washed away, and the river moved. When I saw this picture, I felt God say to me, "That's what's happened, John. The church has remained. We're, we're, we're established. We have our buildings. We have our professional ministers. We have our systems. But the, the, the winds of societal change have blown through our nation through, with devastating effect. So that that model of ministry um, has has ceased to do the job." And so the church is in horrific decline, just getting older and older, not reaching new generations, not, reaching, not knowing how to proclaim the gospel, not knowing how to minister in the spirit, not knowing how to raise people up, and yet we're now in a situation that is a missionary context that needs a missionary church. And so we now have to work out what we're going to do. I wonder, just for a little moment, just talk to your neighbour about where you find the challenge of being a Christian in this culture, that the culture has shifted from this Christendom moment, and we're now in a place where we intuitively know that the world around us does not understand the Christian faith, welcome the Christian faith, and yet you are being called to share the gospel with the people around you. Where where does that feel uncomfortable for you at the moment? Just have a a couple of minutes just to have a little break for a moment. Okay, I'm going to bring you back together. Sorry to cut conversation short. Uh, Do carry them on afterwards in coffee. I'm glad there's lots of smiles as well as um, addressing the challenges. This is our reality, friends. This is where we are. We feel the conflict and the tension of being the church of Jesus Christ in this culture. And we have to choose now what we're going to do. But coming from the place we're in to to recover that sense of being a missionary movement that Jesus has commissioned, is that calling time on me? (laughs) Um, LAUGHTER we will, we will have to change, we will have to learn, we will have to grow, we will have to move with God in order to recover who he wants us to be, and that's the challenge. I sometimes put it like this to help us to, to realize what it looks like. On the left-hand side is a description of a really, really good church. It's not a bad church, it's a really good church, but it's born in that Christendom model in which we're just here to care for people because everybody's a Christian and so we're going to care for people really well. We're going to bring people together on a Sunday. Sunday It's all about Sundays. We're trying to get as many people in the building. We want people in fellowship groups so people are cared for. We're aiming to retain people, look after people. That's a good thing. Please don't hear this is a bad thing. This is a good thing. Uh, we are wanting to create systems and leaders are rule keepers. And prayer is about the needs of people. We'll pray for the sick and pray for the needs of the nation. Uh, we will ask people to do jobs on rotors and fulfill programs. Again, really good. Please don't hear. Um, I don't want all the F rotors to be emptied after my talk. Um, people fulfill the program. Uh, it's, we're trying to make it as neat and tidy as possible. It, it's static. And finances are to maintain this system. As I said, that's a really good church. When I came to Holy Trinity Leicester, this was Holy Trinity Leicester. It was a really good church. There were about 400 people in it. Great kids groups, great um, small group system. uh, Just really strong uh, Bible teaching on a Sunday. But it was declining. And it wasn't reaching new people. I really believe that the missional church that we read in the Acts of the Apostles is is, is is expressed something of uh, of, of the list on the right that we a focus not on us, but on the expansion of the kingdom and the glory of Jesus. That Sunday is not all about Sunday, but it's the launch pad. It's about how many people can we send and equip in ministry, in them, in their daily lives, in, in mission, in evangelism. Our small groups are missional communities. We're trying to empower people to live missionally in them. The aim is to release, not to control. Leaders are risk-takers. Things will change and won't be the same, and we feel like we're breaking rules. Prayer is not so much just caring for the needs of people, but winning the spiritual battle that will release the kingdom. Programs equip people. They're not actually just to get people to do what I, as the vicar need me to do, need them to do, but I'm trying to equip them to fulfill what they're called to. So they're training programs. It's messy. There's movement. Finances are for mission, not just for maintenance. And that's something of the shift. I, I tried to do this at Holy Trinity, and we saw, we saw God do some things. We, we saw God really shift us from being theoretically charismatic, where we believed in theory that God could do these things, to being absolutely, that's the heart of what we are about, the Holy Spirit leading us day by day, in big decisions and in moments in every day. We, we shifted our small groups to missional communities, where everybody came together, not because of they'd been in a group for a long time, but because of the missional focus of those groups. We, uh, we planted uh, seven churches, and those churches went on to plant another four churches, and God reached a load of people. And so we saw the shift take place. But in the middle of that, there was a moment, and We'd done a lot of restructuring, and we'd do missional communities, but we weren't seeing all the people that we longed to, to come to faith, come to faith. And so I asked, I asked the leaders of the missional communities, we had about uh, 20 at that stage of missional communities at that stage, so we had about 100 leaders in the room of their leadership teams, and I said, how many of you have shared your faith with somebody outside the church in the last year? Um, And by sharing faith, I said that's sharing a testimony of what Jesus has done, offering to pray with them, uh, offering to explain the gospel to them, answering a a contemporary issue with a with a Christian response, as as broad as we could. And less than 20% of them had. And I went home and I wept, and I wept for two reasons. Number one, because these were our best Christians. And if they weren't doing it, then the rest of the church wasn't doing it. And I wept because it was my job to equip them. And so I went back to them, and they were so gracious and courageous, and I said, why? Tell me why. It gave me two reasons. They did not live day by day with a compassion for the lost state of the people around them. They didn't live with a longing for people to come to know Jesus. They were honest enough to tell me that. And that was because they hadn't understood their identity was as a missionary. They were amazing Christians. They did all of that stuff on the the left, but they hadn't understood that they were meant to fulfill what's on the right. And the second reason, they said, is we don't know how to do it in a way that we think it would work. some of the stuff you might have talked about is how do you share faith with people who appear to have got it all together, aren't interested in spiritual things? What do we do about that? How do we enable people to do that in an authentic, positive, but in a way that might actually work? And we went on a journey, and we began to see um, people trained and equipped to share faith, to pray for healing out in the world, to share prophetic words with people who weren't Christians. And I asked them a couple of years later, "How many of you've shared your faith?" And over 90% had shared their faith in the last three months, because we'd gone on a journey as a church, and we saw we saw hundreds of people come to know Jesus, and we saw those churches planted, because we grasped a vision that that's what the church is meant to be. But the church for you, or the church for in the nation, is facing this choice. From this conflicted middle where the culture has gone away from God and we're left in the middle and saying, what are we going to become? What's the church's purpose in this nation? We have a choice. And I just want to say that I'm really proud of coming up with four points that have two letters that are the same on each one. (laughs) Um, A compromise mythology is what our culture wants the church to become. It says, you're the Church of England, you're the state church, you should line up with us and be our chaplain and love us and care for us on our terms, not on your terms. And that's particularly in the areas of, of sexuality, but in, in all kinds of different areas. It's saying that you should compromise and give up on anything that in any way offends us in order to keep your place at the center of this culture. And if we do that, it won't just be that we compromise on a particular issue. It will be that we have to give up on the belief that Jesus is Lord, and he's the only way to God. We have to give up on the belief that we are fundamentally sinful as people, not to be affirmed, but to be saved. That we and need the cross, because that's the only way in which we can have forgiveness. That other religions are good in many of the things they teach, but they don't reveal God in the way Jesus did, and don't enable people come to know him that we actually have to live in accordance with God's ways because he actually created this world and created us to live in certain ways and we don't get to decide and define our, li- our lifestyle because it's him that gave us life and we have to follow his ways in many different ways in which that might be, whether that's in how we handle pregnancy and abortion or the end of life or how we handle money and how we handle relationships. And this culture wants us to compromise, But if we do, it won't just be one thing. We will give up on the truth of who Jesus is and we'll become nothing like what we're meant to be as the church and we will become a mythology. Jesus will be our figurehead, not our Lord. He'll be um, a great person to take an example but not actually somebody to believe in and follow. That's what's up for grabs, guys. The alternative is to be a creative minority. That's what these 72 were. It's what the early church was. They're small, they're, 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 they're ill educated, they're not gifted, they're not the ones who could, do, uh, who could transform everything. But they were with Jesus, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they went and did what he did. And the result of them being faithful to that was that they transformed the whole world. You and I are linked to those first disciples who stood on a hill with Jesus because they were faithful and believed that they were called to do that. Even though they couldn't work out what the outcomes would be, couldn't work out how they were going to do everything Jesus wanted to do, but they were willing to take that step. And they were a creative minority in their time. This is what Rabbi Sachs defines as a creative minority. To become a creative minority, it's not easy, because it involves maintaining strong links with the outside world. So we're in the world, even though we're not of it, while staying true to your faith, Seeking not merely to keep the sacred flame burning, so not being a sect that is separate and standing on the edge of society judging, but also to transform the larger society of which you are part. This is a demanding and risk-laden choice. I think it's something of that that we're called to be in our time. So how do we do this? Um, So this is just a, a very simple summary we have to come back to the truth that the one thing we have to offer the world is Jesus. In that time when we were not depending on the Holy Spirit, the church, even really good churches like St. Paul's and Holy Trinity in Leicester, we became those who thought we could manufacture church. We could pull some levers and we could do some stuff and we could make church good. In this world now that has rejected God, the one thing we have to offer is a church that is full of Jesus. And that's why I just love your mission statement. It's just just exactly what the Lord is saying to his church at the moment. Second thing is, is we have to depend on the Holy Spirit because we don't know how to reach our neighbors, our neighborhoods, transform our society, but he does. So we have to learn to allow him to lead us in the moment and also uh, in the big decisions and the shaping of what he... So we have to learn to be full of the Holy Spirit. I think for for many of us who've been involved in the charismatic movement for some time, it felt like for some time that the charismatic gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit was an optional extra that was one tradition of faith, and then there's other traditions of faith, and they're, they're all equal. In the missionary context that we're in, the only thing that will allow people to know the reality of God is a community of his people filled with him and demonstrating his reality. Knowing how to pray and be led by the Spirit, to minister to others, to share what God is saying, um, to love radically in a way that only he can enable us to love, is why we need the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not an optional extra, friends. It's the core of what we need to be. It's what the early church depended on. That's all they knew. Was Is the Holy Spirit telling us to do this? We're going to do that. We have to empower everyone. So you have a calling. God wants to use you. Uh, wherever you are, whatever your age is, whatever the places that you are in life, God has put you there and wants you to, uh, to serve him. And then we have to learn how to make new disciples and disciple them into the fullness of all of this. And that's the purpose of the church, not just to retain. If you want images to sort of understand something of the shift is I think we're shifting from the church as a bank vault where the church organization and the, and the vicar is asked to keep all the gold of God's people safe in a bank vault until Jesus come back or they go to heaven. And we're moving to a post office sorting office Where people come in, they get sorted out, and they get sent into the mission that God has called them to. And so this inflow of reaching people, seeing them set free, restored, renewed, and then discovering their call and their identity and what Jesus wants to do through them. It's something of that that I think that God wants to do. So we're going to look at this very um, personally um, after the break. Um, I've talked a little bit about the church bit, of the church as a whole environment, what we began to shift and change at Holy Trinity was to have that kingdom vision and to structure around what God was calling us to. And that enabled us to have that big picture, this is the purpose, this is our calling. And we would talk about reaching the whole of Leicester. And that was the place God had sent us and was calling us to reach. And then we have to be missional people. Each of us, if each of us begins to go on that journey with Jesus, then the two together begins to create movement. So after the break, we're going to do the more personal uh, stuff. But just to finish with, so, so my work with Myriad is really just trying to release every single person to discover what God might want to do with them. I just tell you a couple of stories. So um, so Wale was my intern at Holy Trinity. He was 22 when he finished his internship. His parents wanted him to become a banker, and uh, he's from a Nigerian background. They were business people, and he was planning to go and be a banker at the end of his internship. And then in the May, before he finished in July, I said to him, I've been praying for you, Wale, and I think the Lord is saying that you should go and plant a church. He screamed and said, yesterday somebody rang me up and told me the exact same thing. And they told me that I would plant a church by the time I was 23. So all he'd had as training was a year of hanging out at Holy Trinity and doing an internship. And we'd seen God do some stuff through him, and we'd seen God speak. And so we worked with him, and he formed a team of 10 people. And he went and planted a church in a city center nightclub. Uh, trying to reach young adults, particularly of of, of a uh, non-white background, because Leicester is so multicultural. And he grew a church to 150, and saw many people come to know Jesus. He raised up another leader, and then we saw God lead him to plant into London from Leicester. It's not easy in the Church of England to go across diocesan boundaries, but he planted into London, He's now renewed three city-centre London churches. He has over 600 people coming to those churches across a week. All because I, somebody else, heard the Holy Spirit say, he's going to plant a church. And he was obedient, and we followed what God was going to do. Fiona May is uh, a, a woman who was a financial advisor. She came to faith and... Uh, and, and coming to faith on Alpha, she uh, she then was walking her dog on uh, on a new housing estate, and she began to have a sense of who's going to reach these people on this housing estate. And so she um, she begins to pray, and she and she thinks, okay, I think we could do something. And so she, she runs Alpha on the housing estate. Oh, no, she goes and moves onto the housing estate, first of all. She, she rents a, a house there. She's carrying on as a financial advisor in her work. And then she runs Alpha on there, and some people come to faith. And then she starts a little after-school uh, cafe, because she asked the community, on, they, and they said, we need a place to meet and get to know each other. So it was a little cafe once a month after the school that was there. And then she started, um, after Tea and Toast, which was the cafe, a A little church community, and she now leads a church of 100 people on that uh, housing estate, and the developer has given her some land to build a church building because she's the person who's leading that community. Two people, the reason I deliberately just choose people who aren't ordained, um, it's not that we're, again, and it requires ordination to, to oversee the church and to lead and to support all of this, but the reason I say that is because Who knows what God wants to do through you? That's the thing those stories say. Neither of them had that on their radar. Neither of them had that as a sense of this is what I'm training for. But both of them caught a sense of this is what God wants to do through me. And they just took the first step. And God did the most extraordinary things through them. So it's, it's a missional church that then releases missional people and then we begin to see the movement of the church as the one that brings the kingdom. So we're going to look at what um, that looks like for us personally after coffee and uh, so I'll uh, ask somebody to tell us what we're doing for coffee now.